finally, the labor force participation rate moving in the wrong direction. This is not good. 62.1, 62.1. Uh, that equals uh, the low mark, which was in July, also at 62.1 on a recent basis. If you go back in the last year, we had 61.6, 61.4 actually in January of 2020. So when you look at it in the context of 2022, it's a big disappointment. One of the issues we, we hear all the retailers talk about um, is what's happening with, with theft, with shrinkage, uh, stuff that walks out the door. I've spoken with other retailers who have said this is a, a national issue, a state issue, a city-wide issue. Um, laws matter where, where these things aren't prosecuted. What's it mean to the bottom line? What would you like to see uh, people in Washington and elsewhere do about it? Theft is an issue. It's higher than what has historically been. And we've got safety measures, security measures that we put in place by store location. I think local law enforcement being staffed and being good, a good partner is, is part of that equation. And that's normally how we approach it. That's not corrected over time. Prices will be higher right. and or stores will close. Right. It's really city by city, location by location. It's store managers working with local law enforcement. And we've got great relationships there for the most part. And that's the way we approach it. And this involves a wanted case we brought to you last month. Security footage from a Home Depot, remember this, in Hillsborough, North Carolina, captured an assault by a thief trying to walk off with several pressure washers. The employee asked for the, for the man's receipt and is then shoved to the ground. He lands hard on the concrete floor, breaking multiple bones. The suspect took off right after the assault and is still on the run. On Wednesday, that employee, 83-year-old Gary Razor, known as Mr. Gary to his customers, passed away. Well, I was with Herschel yesterday. Yeah. I've campaigned with him quite you're, a bit, and he's working so hard. He's everywhere across the state. I think there's a couple of factors. One, you had 200,000 people that voted for Brian Kemp that didn't vote for Herschel Walker. They voted for Warnock. So why are these Republicans voting for Republicans statewide and didn't for our candidate? And we need them to come out and change you know their the mind. To that question. But we need them to do that. I mean, we won eight of nine statewide races in Georgia. Kemp, last time, ran by one by 1%. This time, we won by 7.5%. So Republicans had a great time in Georgia. But today, we need about $1.5 million to turn out so Herschel can, can win this. We'll see how long his coattails are. Uh, it looked like Democrats dominated the early vote, which was in record numbers there in Georgia. Can you get enough people out today to flip the equation? Yeah, and I'll say one of the things about Georgia with the early vote is the rural counties did not have enough centers open. They just didn't. And that's a state, a, a funding issue. So Fulton County had 24 centers, but a lot of these rural areas did not have enough centers open. They didn't have the money. And so today, a lot of voters are going to vote in person because they couldn't during the five-day early voting period. So right. we need them to turn out. The border, because the more important thing going on, they're going to invest billions of dollars in a new enterprise. In the Would you like to see him visit the border? I don't care if he visits the border or not. That doesn't, he doesn't need to visit the border to know we've got a problem. He's got people that report to him every day about what the problem is. And sometimes we fixate on these little issues. Do you think the president doesn't know we got a problem at the border and what the issues are? Wait, wait, that, I know he does. But, but not necessary to see it firsthand. That's a little issue? I, I, I think he knows it's got to be addressed. He's gotten the reports. He's seen the photos. So that's, uh, I mean, I, at some point he may or may not go, but I think he knows what's got to get fixed. And you've seen him begin that process. Do you support the Chinese people's right to protest? Do you regret 
restricting airdrop access that protesters used to evade surveillance from the Chinese government? Do you think it's problematic to do business with the communist Chinese party when they suppress human rights? God, I am tired of fighting you. I just don't have the strength to do it anymore. If this is what you really want, then by all means, take me here, take me now, please, please. Did you get a chance to meet with the royal family? And if not, how was it like having them there in the building? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? <laughs> the prince and princess of Wales. Oh, no, I did not. I'm only familiar with one royal family. I don't know too much about that one. Thank you. France was our first ally, first country to fly the American flag after our revolution. And Frank posted the first diplomatic post before, more than anything else, France has been our first friend. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Unregulated Podcast with Tom Pyle and Mike McKenna. This is episode number 111 here on early Thursday morning, December 8th, 2022. Michael, how are you? How's your week been? Good. 111. Isn't that the batting average of Aaron Judge during the playoffs in his career? <laughs> we'll get to that later on. 111 is also a, uh, a a bad bowling score. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. It's pretty much what I get if, all the if time. If anyone who knows uh, uh, anything about bowling, uh, they have a, uh, a nickname for a 111 score. But I won't do that here because this is a family show. Family-friendly show. All right. So uh, the CEO of Walmart... Doug McMillan says, hey, uh, this is a bit of a problem. We need to handle it. And, of course, uh, a, a nice, probably one, probably a pretty nice gentleman uh, by all uh, accounts and press accounts was mowed over by a gentleman who wanted to steal some power washers yeah. at Home Depot. That's a, power washers. That's a that, weird damn thing to want to steal. Because a man's life is worth a couple of power washers well, in this country in this day and age. You know, there's so. a reason why everybody should should look at corporate America a little bit askance, right? Anybody anybody who calls theft shrinkage, um, you know, should should probably be viewed at with some viewed with some skepticism. So, you know, if you what you guys mean is theft, like you're not going to hang around California because people are robbing you. You should probably just be clear about that and say it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this was Ronald McDaniel, the RNC chairman. Current and future. Explaining the state of play in the runoff in the state of Georgia. T turns out we need people um, to vote. Who knew? Yeah. Who Something knew? Like that. Who Something knew? Something like that. You know, so we're going to hold on conver conversing about her because we have some other uh, uh, stories to tie into that. But uh as well there as are certainly more important things that President Biden can do than visit the southern border uh, <laughs> when he's in a border state of Arizona. And um, you know what killed me about that? They didn't see it coming. I'm like, dude, you're going to Arizona. You don't see the question about the border coming. You could just was, no, but the nanos, uh, what you, the nanos, oh, got the nano chips. It's nano. you know, yeah, we're Taiwan semi. Conductor Manufacturing Corporation is going to help us. It, it, we're whatever. The worst part here is to me is the smugness of Debbie Dingle. Like, 
Don't you think the president knows there's a problem? The answer should have been. The, he sees the photos. He gets the daily briefings. Dude, his secretary, Homeland Secretary, has been on the Hill numerous times saying that there are no problems. So there are no at problems. The yeah, no. So yeah. he's the one who's giving Biden the briefings. This is this is this is this is where reporters miss out a lot of times. The correct answer, correct response to Congresswoman Dingle would have been like, "No, I don't." I don't, I, he doesn't act like there's a problem, so I assume he doesn't understand there's a problem. So that's why people are right, rightly asking, why isn't he going to the border? Because he doesn't seem to perceive it the same way everybody else does. So, but instead, you got a well, you know, I mean, it's an important bit, 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 bit. No, no, did, 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 attack. It uh, was attack. He, he doesn't need to visit. Debbie I Dingle, ladies and gentlemen, the per- perfect argument against inherited power. My precious. Shut up, man. Uh, all right, so Dingles held that <clears throat> seat for four hundred years, Tom. Since we we're since we we're an English colony, so the um, the lady who was asking the important questions uh, about uh, Apple's uh, role in China uh, was Hillary Vaughn of Fox News. Yep, and the deafening silence that you heard in response to those was questions Tim Cook. was Tim Cook, the CEO of said company. Or Apple, as or, up on the hill, or as President Trump week. used to call him, Tim Apple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw I saw someone comment on this and said that you know uh, Tim Cook walks around in Washington like he's a powerful guy, but bends the knee to President Xi. So well, he should, right? There's a, a non-zero chance the Chinese might actually do something to him or his company, right? There's no risk of anybody in Washington doing anything to his company or him, right? Yeah, exactly. except, except except agree to take a bunch of his money, right? That's it. Right. Uh, and oh. of course, uh, China, uh, sorry, Apple, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but practically 100% of uh, Apple's pr- pr- production is in communist is, China. Is in China. I don't think it's 100%, I, I, but I think it's a pretty big it, number. Like, it's about up in the, it's three, up in the unmanageably, um, you know, vulnerable state yeah it's it's bigger than three quarters i'm sure right especially the profitable stuff it'd be like if ford was building all their 150s in uh in uh xinjiang right if you were ford you'd be like eh, you know you'd be nervous it's um i'm not exactly sure how you respond to a question like those questions that were being asked what do you say we're okay with genocide we're okay with slavery you know we're okay with concentration camps these guys are our business partners I mean, at a certain point, you start uh, you start sounding pretty bad. Better just to remain silent. Yeah, yeah. I, what, I do what, appreciate what, the what fact, I, though, that the stuff that we've been talking about for a while is starting to percolate up into the sort of constant, uh, the constancy uh, level, right? And especially now, I think with uh, yeah, the only thing is taking the house. Um, there'll be at least a platform. Not that the media will cover any of it, because. Of course, they haven't covered anything of consequence uh, that is well, remotely damaging to Democrats. The in only a long thing time. I didn't—I I mean, the only thing I didn't understand about that about that interaction between the reporter and Tim Apple—you know—I'd have followed up the next day on who he met with. Like, why are you meeting with this guy? You know, I mean, if 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 the guy in question has no shame because he's part of the problem. We should start identifying enablers, Republican or Democrat. I don't care. Yeah, I think he—I think ISA hauled him in. Uh, I guarantee you he had other meetings. 
I, I'm sure he did. And I, I guarantee you he's I, given I money. I saw hauled him in because he wanted to start discuss these very issues. I guarantee so. he's. I guarantee he, he he's given money to everybody. You know, we should we should maybe you know what next week I'm going to have a list of everybody Apple's given money to. We're going to go through it. I'm going to have right. fun with it. Well, that's going to be the whole episode. And we're going to start. We're going to start with our friends, the Republicans, first. Let's just do the top ten. Okay. From each from each party. Fair enough. I'm just going to do the okay, top ten. So, um, one of my I actually really enjoyed. I thought she was a great actress. Kirstie Alley passed away on December fifth. Yeah, I'm sorry. What was that clip from? The age of seventy one. That was from Cheers. Oh, okay. Okay. Sort of her her breakout or sort of semi famous role uh, on Cheers, who, by the way, I liked way better than Diane. I could not stand that lady at all. I was fine with both of them. Um, I'm going to just chip at you about the breakout thing. To to those of us of a certain age, she broke out six or eight months before that, or a year before that, whatever the hell it was. In um, in no, no, in Star Trek, the search for Spock. Oh, that's right. Yeah, when she when she showed up on screen, you're like, okay. Good catch. Who's that yeah. one? She so, also did a couple of movies with John Travolta, and I you know they had a pretty strong relationship. Look who's talking so. and look who's talking too. Yeah. 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 Great, great. And also great classics of course, she in the was genre. Widely criticized in Hollywood for having the audacity to support uh Donald Trump in his reelection. Um anyway. Yeah. She was a youngster, seventy one. Um, God rest her soul. And, uh, the, the clip before Biden talked about how Frank is America's closest partner, <laughs> my buddy, Frank. Well, I mean, Marcus last week, it was Marcus Lafayette, right? Marcus, Marcus Lafayette <laughs> Marcus came and helped just, us. You know, He's just trying to Americanize the whole thing. You know, he's, just... he's nine kinds of hopeless. And I'm pretty confident he's wrong about France being the first country to recognize us. I think it might've been the Netherlands, but I'd have to go check. Anyhow, Celtics co- coach Joe Missoula, yeah. uh, in response the to the question AM- of how excited <laughs> he must have been when members of the British royal family were in attendance at a Celtics game. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful yeah. response. The greatest response ever. I'm going to remember it and use it because this American fascination <laughs> with these people we beat twice in a war just mystifies me. I mean, it would almost be like we had some kind of weird fascination with the German royalty if the German royalty had survived. It's crazy. I don't understand it. I'm super glad he answered that way because there were you could tell the reporter, I, I'd have paid cash dollars to get a video of the reporter's response, but I bet you she was just like, I, uh, uh, see, I was her la- like she laughed nervously. Yeah, I was going to say she, she had no idea how to respond, right? Right, right exactly. It was a perfect so. response. Anyway, all right. What kind of, what announcements do you have? Any I have two. I have just two. Um, uh, and they are both in the nature of thank yous. Uh, uh, Christine and Mike and I went out last night after, um, after a. Can, can I say Southern Company? Yeah, why not? After the Southern Company party, we went out and had some dinner, and that was a great time. And I appreciate both of them doing that because I know it was pretty late and blah blah blah. Uh, and that's thing one. Thing two is, and and, and this is something I, I I have been reflecting on for a week, so I ask some indulgence here. Um, in everybody's life, they have a friend who is really really good and really really always helpful and always there, and you take them for granted after a while, and um. It has occurred to me, and I, I'm, I am embarrassed to say this, but it has occurred to me that uh, Mike Reith is one of those friends in my life. Right? He is always um, 
always at the ready to help, uh, advice, do stuff, whatever. And and I not only do I not appreciate him signif- uh, sufficiently, um, it was brought to my attention that a couple of years ago I was um, less than kind to him um, at a moment, and I apologize about that, and I apologize for um, taking Mike for granted, and I'm very, very, very grateful um, that he is in my life. So that's a there's there's my notices for the week. Well, that's that's very nice of you. I think you, in part, were fearing that you would lose him as a as a listener uh, with all your <laughs> your your Lincoln bashing. So, uh, I'll just chime on to say, Mike, you're you're a good dude. Uh, always have been, and uh, appreciate all your advice on the various uh, cities I've traveled over my years uh, in hunting out the best restaurants. So. All right, man, this day in history, I think you'll get this one fairly. I was going to say, this is an easy day in history if you give me the right ones. Go ahead. 1941. The United States declares war in Japan. Boom. Enough said. Uh, With one dissenting. recorded this yesterday. It would have been Pearl Harbor Day. So, uh, obviously, that was uh, a pretty easy one. I'll tell you what, though. It took us a hell of a long time to get in this war. Well, yeah, that's because we had no interest in this war. And we didn't have any interest in this war until President Roosevelt dropped an embargo on the Japanese in the summer of 1941 and got mm-hmm. us in the middle of the war. I'm not blaming him for starting it, but I'm blaming him for making it easy. True fact, important fact to know. Every um, Starting in about 1920, the graduating class of the Japanese Naval Academy, their final exam was, if you had to attack Pearl Harbor, how would you do it? Oh, interesting. So the Japanese, like always, have been thinking about this thing for a generation before they actually did it, um, which is- Yeah, a- and just to tie energy to it, I mean, the whole kamikaze thing was more, more, mostly a fabrication or an invention uh, as a, a fuel savings measure. Huh. I like so. it. I like it. It it um, anyway. Sorry, this day in history. That's that's one. I'm good. I'm good. I finally got one. I'm on a heater. <laughs> no, you you usually do pretty well, except when I throw the curveballs. 1980, on this day in 1980. Oh. In the evening. Oh, I know this. In Manhattan. Um. With a 38 caliber revolver. Bernie Getz shot, shot four guys in a in a subway train. Nope. 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 Oh, John Lennon. John yes, Lennon. Yes, sir. Bam. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, not an idiot. Just It's a lot of murders in New York. It's hard yeah, to keep track of them. It's hard to so. keep track. Yeah, right outside the uh, whatever. John hotel. Lennon, former Beatle. Yeah. Manhattan apartment when Mark David Chapman shot him four times at close range. Yeah, my, um, my uh, government teacher at the time was distraught. So, of course, being being who we were, um, we yeah. were we we had to give reports on the events of the day. So we we found out he was distraught. So, of course, we did a skit, me and my friends, about the we we and we reenacted the John Lennon shooting the next week in class. Which <laughs> dude, you're a which made, which made him even which made him even further distraught. <laughs> All right, so my my Beatles progression has has. Uh, uh, been one of uh thinking that Ringo was just like a total buffoon who had all the money to come really come and to appreciate Ringo yeah. almost the most out of the four Beatles. Um, after watching this very long documentary recently about uh, uh the, the four of them recording one of their last albums, he was just like this random, like just happy guy. Like every time he walked into the studio, it was like 
hey, I'm a beetle. What the hell? Yeah, what seriously. could possibly be wrong I, with the world, right? I, I won the lottery. So. Why, why are we why are we all worried about it? We won the lottery. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um he seems to have the right vibe, right? Yeah, exactly. So 1993. This is a uh, uh, a little bit obscure, but I threw it in because I lived 8th, it. December eighth, nineteen ninety-three. Yep. Ryan Leaf. No, no, I'm giving you one hint. Yeah. Um, it is. If I just say one one man's name, you'll know exactly what you'll 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 guess exactly what this is related to. Ross Perot. Neil Armstrong. Ross Perot in nineteen ninety-three. What What do you affiliate Ross Perot with? Two things. The, associated a with? rescue, a, a, a botch, a a. A not completely successful rescue attempt in Vietnam and the presidential candidate. Okay. What was the signature issue that he had? Mexico. Oh, did, did, we, did the Congress ratify NAFTA this day? The president signed NAFTA into law okay. on this day in 1993. Interesting. Yep. I wouldn't have guessed that. Uh, yeah. I, I will point so out. So I, I tell you, I, this was one of the first issues when. Um, when I was running, when I was I, my first year on Capitol Hill, we were the Republicans were still in the minority, and NAFTA was the issue. And my boss, a freshman, was opposed to it, so he was getting calls every day from the White House, right? And my um, our our office uh, secretary or the the phone answer was what's the title? What's the title? Receptionist, admin. Yeah, receptionist, admin, whatever. She comes in, she's like, um. Some guy named uh, Mac Mc, Mc, McClarkey or something keeps calling for Mr. Pop for, for the congressman. Is this, do I need to, <laughs> do I need is, to you get mean Mac McClarity? You mean the chief of staff chief of the staff, president uh, of the United States? Yeah, you might want to put the call through. Yeah, that's need, good. Need to let that guy talk. That Okay, so I actually did, and I should have remembered this. I actually did, um, in grad school, I did an analysis of the vote, right? It was one of the few votes that got done, but most of the Democratic committee um, chairman, right, the Democratic leadership actually went against it. They, they, most of them voted against it. Um, it was a it was a really extraordinary piece of work by the Clinton team, right? It, well, you know, they had a huge cushion too, though, so they could afford to like you know, yeah, uh, yeah pair let, votes and let stuff some like guys that. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It but, was a it was an interesting exercise for me and how like. It, I would argue how it used to work. Yeah. Where you had a, a signature piece of legislation and it worked its way through the entire process. Right. right? And, and well, that's because both Clinton and McClarty, right? Um, and, and I've had, over the years, I've had a chance to work with him a couple different times, McClarty now. Um, he, he's not angry about the world. No. He, 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 he you know, he, He's very much an old school guy, right? Republican or Democrat. He's just like, hey, man, either this is a good idea and I want to do it or it's a crummy idea and I don't want to do it. But it's not like whose idea is it before I decide whether it's good or bad, right? Yeah, and then Clinton managed to infect the whole the whole place with the Podesta regime. Well, so God knows anyway, moving on. Um, Georgia. What about it? It's official. Yes. I owe you a beer. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I I really take no. I, I was expecting to, to, to owe you that beer. By the way, I just I take I take was one of those hopeful, wishful thinking I, type. Bets, I was going to say so. I take no comfort in it at all. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't even close. 
It was, fact, it was Warnock got well. It was close, it was but close. relatively speaking, he got he got over a majority this time. That's right. But I, I, um, I, I haven't seen the finals, but I assume it's going to be closer. And um, I assume it's going to be three points, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I mean, it, it it he beat him like he beat him first go around by thirty six thousand. He probably beat him this time by fifty thousand. Yep. So and I f- I find it odd. I felt I felt really weird. Like Lefty World was like. They couldn't be, they couldn't celebrate their victory. It was just, it was kind of strange. Like, I can't believe this was even this close. Yeah, I saw or, that. I saw that a couple of times. I was this like, still proves that Jim Crow, this is Joy Reid from MSNBC. Jim Crow is still loud and pure. The fact that he had to run again and again and again. It, 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 these people are unhinged uh, entirely and completely well, at this point. I, I mean, so. look, the, the, you, want a, you want an observation on human nature? Fire it away. When you spend your life angry and looking for grievances, eventually it consumes everything else. You're just angry. That's it. That's all that's left in your life is the anger and the grievances, which is why you need to let stuff go. Because if you don't, you wind up being just, that's it. That's your whole life. It consumes you. It eats you alive. That, so the rep- it, you, know, you, forgive, you forgive other people um, to cut your own load. Right, not 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 to not to make life easier for them. You do it to make life easier for you, man, because you just gotta let stuff go. And people like Joy Reid probably haven't let anything go since they were about ten years old. Remove the plank before you criticize my right. dust. Right, that's so. right. Indeed, you know, and and it, 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 what's the, what's the what's the line in the middle of the Our Father? Forgive us our trespasses as as we forgive those who trespass against us. Just say you're sorry and move on. Say it's okay and move on. Couple observations. One, Yo. well, just just a. By uh, the way, that's all free. That is point. all free therapy, gang. You'd be paying top dollar for that in like some psychologist's office. Thank you very much. Sorry, Tom. Uh, go ahead. I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna hire you it's now a, instead. It's a new line of work for us. It's a new business line. Um, this, of course, changes a lot. Uh, it was. It was as uh, I mentioned in the past. This was not insignificant in that now the committee ratios will change in the Senate where the. Democrats will have a majority yeah. uh, of probably one seat. Yeah. Also, this uh, pretty much signals the death, uh, the, the death knell, or the the final blow uh, for Joe Manchin. I, yeah, uh, I you know, I, let me let I me. I think his leverage is mostly gone now at this point. So yeah, let me just take the let me take the let me take the counter argument on that one. Right, the the committee yeah. thing has been relevant in about a half a dozen cases. Right, in the last two years. Um, and probably will not be that relevant going forward because no one's coming into this administration in the sec in this in in this in year three and four, right? Because there's lots of swirl over on the over on the left about whether he's going to run again and if he's going to win again and blah blah blah. And if you're smart, you're just going to sit still, right? Assistant secretary and above. Um, so that's one. The other thing is you now have a bunch of senators who are in the water on this one, right? Bob Casey, John Tester. Mr. Manchin, um, Senator Sinema, um, uh, Sherrod Brown, right? Senator Brown in Ohio. You have a bunch of senators sitting in places they shouldn't be sitting in. They are going to be looking to peel off and make noise for the next 18 months before yeah. they have to see voters. Okay, let me, can I just counter counter? Parlay it and then I will counter counter. Um, yes, I get that, but there will be lots of opportunities for them to trade each other, yeah. trade off of each that's other. That's right. 
you vote no on this, I'll vote no on that, et cetera. One, two, as we have seen in the last election and arguably the one before that, and we'll get into this, it is less critical and important to be responsive to voters yeah, then play your team in this climate. Yeah, yeah. Than it is to harvest votes. Yeah, for people who are not interested in what the in what's happening and what the conversation is, which is why I think Democrats have been somewhat emboldened, and and which I think is the reason that they did as well as they did in the last election, in spite of all of the issues. Yeah, I, I get it. Rolling we're, against them, we're, so we're we're rolling towards a parliamentary system where you vote for the party, not the guy. I get that. But if that's the case, and you're a Democrat, you you might as well just quit now, because you're going to lose in Ohio, and you're probably going to lose in Pennsylvania, because Dave McCormick's actually going to have an untrammeled tr- shot at that guy now. Bob Bob Casey is without a doubt one of the <laughs> easy least yeah. least intellectually curious senators we've run across in a while. Um, and John Tester's done in Montana, right? Assuming assuming I, I wouldn't count him out yet. And I never I never do, but I was that's what I was gonna say, assuming we run somebody who's who's credible against him. So um it, it, I get your point. I get it. Let me add one other thought to your head, which you're not gonna like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, those six or seven Democrats are going to be aided pretty much every time, I suspect, by Mr. Romney, uh, Senator Collins, Senator Murkowski, right? The the, Repub- the group of Republican moderates, those 10 or 12 guys in the middle on both sides, they're going to make a lot of trouble here. And I was actually going to save this piece for later, but since you brought his name up, yeah, um, the, the Washington Post, the Bezos Post, is hosting an event this week. Oh, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> In fact, it's at nine. It's happening as we speak. Oh, and we're missing This is it. climate. <laughs> the U.S. climate agenda. Tell us, uh, tell us with, who, tell us who, tell us who it's featuring, Tom. Our two special guests being interviewed <laughs> for this particular uh, lavish event is John Kerry, U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate. And none other than Senator Mitt Romney from Utah. The third, actually, I should replace that. The third senator from Massachusetts. Third senator, third senator from Massachusetts. Please, could you use his correct given name? Willard. You know, like <laughs> unbelievable the, this guy. You know, like the rat in the movie. Actually, Willard, I think, was the guy, not the rat. But it's hard to remember. Yeah, it. I. I it's I'm, our I'm, nominee for president. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I mean, on tape. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll catch the re, the replay. Uh, yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah. So I want to switch gears real quick and talk. Just talk briefly about this. Um, uh, one, I'm gonna I'm gonna play a clip about the Twitter files. That laptop story was uh, probably the the most high profile that we've seen of many other stories that were suppressed. When the New York Post put the story out there, go back and look. About two years ago, all of the mainstream media calling calling that story disinformation, saying it was part of the lies that are being told by the right. The administration is still... And it turned out to be a true story, and they blocked the New York Post. I actually was able to question Jack Dorsey in a hearing that we had about this, and he admitted that they shouldn't have done it. The problem is, when you look internally, there were a lot of discussions. There were these ministers of truth, and a lot of these tech agencies have them. Uh, that's the kind of translation is somebody that wants to suppress conservative speech. And so all under the name of truth, they were shutting down stories that were true because it might have hurt Joe Biden's campaign. Uh, that's not what they're there for. That's surely not what they were telling people on the outside. And it's going to get exposed. 
is it or isn't it going to get exposed because the censorship story is being censored literally nobody has uh none of the major mainstream media has discussed or talked about it even you know well, sort of part of it as I mean, a as a courtesy so anyway part of it part of it is because is because the guys in charge of it are pitching it the wrong way um you know right out of the gate this is a first amendment issue i'm like yeah it is yeah technically it's not right it is and it isn't and you know the 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 here's my take on it right the story that a private company has decided not to run something is, to my mind, completely uninteresting, right? I'm like, sure, Twitter's full of commies. I, who, di who didn't know that, right? Everybody on the right. left knew it. Right. Everybody on the right knew it, right? It's full of commies, but it's still a platform with a lot of eyeballs and people in politics are on it all the time, unfortunately. Too much. Unfortunately, too, too much. yeah. Right. Um, the interesting part of the story was that the Biden FBI guys, uh, you know, and even defense, right, even the DOD guys were meeting with like Twitter on the regular and telling them, hey, run this, don't run that. Yeah. And also um, um, Zuckerberg admitted the same thing. Yeah. And, and to Rogan, he said, yeah, the FBI guys came over and said, hey, be careful about this deal because it's it looks fishy to us. So right. And, you know, dial the, it back. And the problem, and, you know, and that's where two things. Right. Well, first off, that's where the oversight should focus, like, you know, government getting getting wrapped up around it. Imagine if the FBI was meeting every week with the editorial board of The New York Times, like, hey, man, people would be like, eh, I'm not sure that's a great idea. So we need to simplify it and we need to clear out our own mental clutter about it. Um you know, hey, Twitter's full of commies is not an interesting story. Hey, the United States government is getting in the way of like, you know, people um, people running this thing. Yeah, that's something, yeah. that's something we're talking about. But, you know, the, the party, the Republican Party, you know, you know what I'm about to say here. You know, they become so, um, I want to be careful here dumb that they can't figure out like this is this is the important part of the story and this this other great big thing that you guys are spending all your time talking about twitter's full of commies nobody cares because twitter should be can be full of commies you know yeah it's, it's like the national review is full of like you know conservatives okay it's cool this is america but the fbi and the dod's involvement in it in the editorial decisions and you know the other thing that makes it tough is some of that's probably legit some of it's probably legit you know, they mm -hmm. probably they should at least say, "Hey, man, you need to be aware; these are bots that we think originate in China, right?" Even even if they just alert them to it, right? Uh, but that's borderline in every case, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. So then you know, uh, the good the, news the, is Daryl Ice is going to be in charge of helping us understand it. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Don't, like, don't laugh. Okay, so, Why are you laughing? So the real um, sort of consequence for this, I think, was a good development. Was that Elon Musk fired this dude, Jim Baker? Yeah. Who was the general counsel at um, at Twitter? This guy was a former spook. Yeah, yeah. He he right? he he he's been in the middle, accidentally or purposefully, has been in the middle of a bunch of different things that hosed everybody on the right. Um, and I'm 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 looking forward to. They're going to call him, and they're going to they're going to turn him over a couple times about FB about his work at the FBI and about his work at Twitter. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, Fifty absolutely. bucks. Says, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's out of the country. If he just like, you know what? I'm going to Peru for two years and let this whole thing blow over. Um, uh, Cheryl Chumley. Sure. 
from the Washington Times, a yep. partner of the American Energy Alliance yep. unregulated podcast, had a good opinion piece about this whole thing. I'm going to uh, flip it over to Alex, the producer, and have him throw it in the show notes. And I also want to point out that <clears throat> President Trump is not helping the situation in any way, shape, or form. And the Wall Street Journal editorial on December 6th points it out. Uh, Donald Trump is, in fact, the Terminator. Um, I, I don't understand how you could get so, like, what is the strategy behind saying we got to throw out the Constitution? Let me ask you, like, wh where is this? Wh is this a chess move or is this just basically checkers or, like, or war I, with I, cards. I think it's. I think it's. You know, just an emotional outburst, right? You got. Mr. Trump said, "Quote allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution." Yeah, termination. I think the suspension or termination was in front of that, right? But um, yeah, the termination. Well, in all fairness, and I don't want to be that guy again, but we have had presidents in the past who have suspended certain portions of the United States Constitution. You want me to? You want me to tell you who? You're not going to no, like the, you're not gonna like the answer. Not you are that. not going to like the answer, just so you yes. know. Yes, I'm, I'm fully aware. Yeah, so. Every, and all of our listeners should be fully aware that that United States presidents, not, not just the one during the Civil War, but Mr. Roosevelt as well, has suspended and or terminated temporarily parts of the United States Constitution. That does not excuse anything. I guess maybe some would argue Trump that said. Um, President Bush may have close to that on a couple of occasions well, as well i will point out that as recently as what five years ago we killed united states citizens who we just didn't like with drone strikes um so it's yeah. it, it's happened the difference here is um that we're not i don't think president trump's at war with whoever he wants to be at war with but uh so i'm and i i the whole thing mystifies me um i it, it sort of makes me think he's not actually running. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting to that point where I'm feeling like that's, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, who knows, right? Exactly. You know, the only thing I didn't get is all these senators were asked about it. And like with one or two exceptions, none of them could just say, you know what? That's just crazy. <laughs> you know, that, that, nobody's doing that. That's insane. You know, boss got to go back to the drawing board and come up with something else to provoke people because I didn't, you know. It's, it's it's but none of them they're all like well you know that's his opinion i'm like yeah it's his opinion it's a dumb one it's okay to say it's a dumb opinion guys <laughs> yeah right so i was actually when i was reading that I, I my eyes glanced over to the very right and rick scott had a um senator rick scott had a, a letter to the editor yeah uh, of the times the same day december 6th um I ran for Republican Senate leader because if we're silent and never challenge the status quo, we sentence Americans to more of the same, more bureaucracy, more reckless spending, more multi-thousand page bills dropped at the last minute that no one can actually read, more debt and more inflation. I reject that, and so do American families who are sick of being stuck with the consequences. Um, we must fight for our country where we still have something to save. So he's uh, – Yeah, man. I, yeah, I like this guy. He's, I do. He's he's I like a, this guy. You know, both 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 the Florida senators are hard to are hard to not want to follow, right? Because they just, every, just they just seem to be good. 
they got a damn good crop yeah, of folks you know, every, out there. Every once in know. a while, every once in a while, you're in a groove. That's just it. And and they seem to be in a groove. And I read Senator Scott's um, letter. It it yeah, it's right as rain, right? I mean, it. it he, he just well, whatever. We'll figure it out. We'll yep. figure. All right. It out. So uh, today, if you're gonna okay, two things. One, if you're gonna read anything today. Go to the store and buy the New York Times, the hard copy. Go online, search for a bunch of stories in the New York Times. And if you have if you're not a Wordle guy, start today. Go ahead. <laughs> this is from um CNN.com. New York Times journalist stage historic. <laughs> historic. 20. Four-hour strike. Historic. <laughs> After management and union fail to reach a deal. What and, of course, to... all the reporters on Twitter, who they can't seem to get, get off of, and who they seem to think is the only place in the world where people live, said, oh, to boycott the times tomorrow. All you Wordle people, stop doing Wordle. So get out there, get out there ladies and gentlemen. And do the wordle by the paper. Historic. It's the first strike in the history of the United States. <laughs> Just, you know, come on. I would be very interested in what way this thing is historic. It's disappointing that they're taking such drastic action given the clear commitment we've shown to negotiate our way to a contract that provides Times journalists with substantial pay increases, market leading benefits, and flexible working conditions. Yeah, they're so the be, president and chief executive. The yeah, management is pissed off because they think that they're not at an impasse. Um, I'm like, hey, dumb, dumb. Um, you know, the workers are doing this strategically because everybody knows you set up the weekend paper on Thursday. It's like a really lousy day for everybody to walk out. And that's why they did it. Um, right. And the management must know that. I don't understand why they just don't say it. Hey, this was, you know, I get it. This is a nice little bit of theater done specifically to like, you know, damage us for the weekend. Um, great. We're going to go back to the negotiating table and figure it out. <laughs> it's historic, Tom. It's historic. It is historic. Uh, and of course, you know, falls on the heels of thousands of staffers being hundreds, sorry, of staffers being laid off at the Clinton, sorry, the, 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 uh, CNN. Yeah. Board. CNN. Yeah. So, all right. AOC onto the gun here. You hear this? Yeah. Nothing's going to happen. Ethics committee said, "Yeah, we're gonna continue to investigate uh, some improprieties." <laughs> Crack me up if you know, certain things that uh, the congresswoman who uh, if you can if you can be if you can have your choice of who you're going to be investigated by in this country, you want to be investigated by <laughs> the, the committee, committee on ethics because exactly. <laughs> they literally have never done anything to anybody. It's the it's. <laughs> Yeah, months long after months of investigation exactly you know this that this is they've concluded that there were some some paperwork mistakes and a couple of improper entries and we've spoken very seriously to the member in question and sent them a letter explaining how they shouldn't do it again and that you bombshell know, it it it's historic <laughs> i saw that i was just like holy mackerel 
All right. Did this? Did you see this one? This was a, another reunion deal. Uh, Biden to announce federal bailout. I did of the Teamsters. That's on my list. Troubled yeah. union pension fund. Yeah. Well, troubled, right? Um, this is from USA Today. This is this morning. Yeah. President Biden on Thursday today will join labor leaders to announce a federal bailout for a pension fund largely benefiting Teamster workers and retirees. This the thirty-six billion dollar. For the central states pension fund will prevent benefits from being cut yeah. more than in half for 350,000 truck drivers, uh, who uh, of which included is my stepfather, warehouse workers, construction workers, and others, according to the White House. Now, do you know how the president is able to just give away $36 billion of our own money? I have I know about the mechanism. No, I was wondering yeah, about that. It, it was it was in, it was inserted into the one point nine the inflation act. trillion dollar American rescue. Oh, the American rescue plan. The very first jobby. Yeah, yeah. I, so we're still spending money from that baby. Yeah, no, I, I I'm I, I'm trying to track this down. I'm asking all my OMB friends about this. Like, how many um how much money out of this? You know. Eight billion dollars, eight trillion dollars has been six trillion, whatever the number is, has been spent so far. It's probably not much, right? Federal government doesn't spend it that quick. The precedent here is terrible. You know, there's there's lots of private sector unions. Um, there's lots of unions that are having trouble with pensions. We can't buy them all out, right? We can't we can't solve everybody's pension problem in this country. Somebody, well, you know, Union Joe screwed the rail 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 guys. Well, in all got, fairness, so did know. the Republicans, right? They should have all voted against that thing. Uh, fair enough. Uh, so this is the, his way to make up for it. But, you know, interestingly enough, um, no one's talking about how we got here. Yeah. Yeah. How, how does a pension fund screw up so badly? Are they? Uh, is it because they're using the money to? Well, I mean, is, know, is, is it ESG? Is it woke? Is it just, in, it, you know? Well, I mean, crypto, like what what the hell are they doing? Well, to, I mean, to decimate this pension the way that they have. Well, I don't know about the Teamsters, right? But invariably, when you see underfunded pensions, it's two, it's, there's two things going on, right? And on uh, both sides, both sides, companies um, and workers, and in the case of public unions, the government and workers under contribute over a number of years, figuring somebody's eventually going to fix this problem at some point in the future, and we're not going to worry about it. And I'm just like, that, you know, unfunded pension liabilities in this country, tick, 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 tick. They're going to go boom into somebody's hands. I'm not sure who, but I, I, this precedent bothers me tremendously because it- Oh, I, no, that's just the tip of the iceberg, my friend. Look, this, this is part of the article. Before the act passed, more than 200 pension plans were on pace to become insolvent in the near term. Yeah, yeah, that, that it, it, it. And now I, those plans are projected to remain insolvent through at least 2051. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing is, is insolvency is one thing, right? So long as you keep paying out to your members, I assume the Teamsters got to the point where they couldn't pay out anything, right? They were just losing. They were they were starting to slip down the hill. 200 is probably a um, low number, right? And and the, the liability we're talking is trillions, a lot, right? And And you can't put it on the balance sheet of the federal government indefinitely. Something's going to happen here. I don't know why. Well, we keep saying this about a whole lot of different things. Well, you know what? Like, right? Mark, like I mean, where where is this going to end? Where will it end? Like the great, like the great economist Martin Feldstein once said, "Things that can't continue won't." And like my friend Tavia from Fiddler on the Roof said, 
If you let this happen, where does it end? Where does it end? (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great movie. (laughs) If I were Uh, a rich man, all right, what's up, Greg? So, George Mason University's Charles Blauhaus says the bailouts encourage more of the irresponsible behavior that got pensions into trouble in the first place. True, end to that, sir. All right, Mike, a little energy. Should we do a little energy? Sure. All right, you got anything? I got on energy? Yep. I don't think so. I mean, the Europeans are still in the ditch. Um, the team Biden's still pretending that oil and gas and coal don't actually run the country. Um, uh, what else? Um, it's a nice uh, summation, but I'd like Ferks, to bring in a, an had expert. Ferks had a technical conference on reliability and one before that on interregional transfer capacity. Now, yeah. don't bore our listeners with all that. <laughs> Sorry. I want to bring in an expert here, okay? So that uh, you're hearing it straight from the White House. Yeah. One of the things Larry did say last week at the Doable Conference was that he said he expects uh, fossil fuels to be um, part of our life for at least the next 70 years. Uh, Do you agree with that? And do you believe that that's a consistent message from him, given that you spent a long time uh, with him over the years? Look, I'll tell you what our, our view is, which is, we need to rapidly hit our climate goals, including a 50% reduction in emissions by 2030. As you do that, you still see a reliance and you still see a maintenance, for example, of, of oil in the energy mix. That's something that will be true for the, the next several years. But the real opportunity here, and I hear this from companies across the board, the real opportunity here is to now move as quickly as possible to develop and to expand and to scale these new zero carbon technologies. And keep my seat warm, Larry, because I'm coming back over in a couple of months. Let me guess, your friend Brian Dees. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, it. Um, a little bit like unfunded pensions, right? Um, eventually, stuff catches up with you. Um, you know, things that can't continue won't. Um, you got you have multiple direct. You have multiple sources now, right? Jamie Dimon and uh, Larry. You know, Larry China. Um, you know, Chinese <laughs> Chinese Larry. Um, Communist Chinese Larry. I have to fidget CCL, around. Let's start. We, we got to work on a nickname. I was going to say, I'll figure, I'll figure, call me Larry. Anyway, um, you had a bunch of people who are just like, hey, this this net zero thing isn't really going to happen. They just, I mean, you know, they don't, they don't actually say that sentence that I just said, but they get, well, you know, we're going to be needing oil and natural gas, coal, nuclear for like pretty much the rest of our lives and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, you know, the first guy who just works up the, the, the testosterone just to get up and say, hey, this net zero thing's a fantasy. And you know we need to proceed accordingly. Now they're all they're there, but they won't. They can't just say it, um, except for that poor guy from HSBC who wound up getting fired for saying it, which maybe is why everyone doesn't want to say it. Um, I, I'm looking forward to Brian Deese going back to BlackRock and running a portfolio that includes coal, oil, and natural gas companies. That's going to be fun oh. to watch. Republicans pounce. I intend to pounce. Well, pounds. Okay, a couple more quick bullets here. Kinda, uh, these kinda, are both from Bloomberg. I'm kind of tired and listless. I don't feel like pouncing today. <laughs> then you're going to seize. Oh, sure. I could seize. You pounce, you seize. I could definitely seize. seize. A, little less, okay. a little less stressful. Okay, I appreciate that. Thanks. <laughs> right, this is from Bloomberg um, yesterday, December 7. U.S. shale would survive carbon tax at $100 per ton, BNEF says. Almost all of the major U.S. shale basins would probably still be profitable 
if their carbon emissions were taxed, according to a study by Bloomberg NEF. Under legislation proposed by Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse in June, a levy of $55 per ton would be imposed on emissions exceeding certain thresholds. That, um, that would amount to a potential liability of $10 billion per year for oil and gas suppliers. Still, even at $100 per ton, oil producers across the main shale basins would continue to make a profit. Uh, Bloomberg analyst Maria Olivia Torchea said in a report published Wednesday. <laughs> okay. That's got to be disappointing to hear. <laughs> what is the point of a carbon tax? Shut up, man. Shut I, up. I was just, I was wondering what the point of a carbon tax was. <laughs> Excuse because me. If it's, Can I ask a question about a carbon tax? It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's the point to just eke out a profit. For the oil and gas industry, the the actual answer. You want the actual answer? The stated purpose. The stated purpose and the actual. The stated purpose and the actual purpose are two different things. I know that's going to surprise you. The stated purpose is, of course, to reduce our dependence on uh, legacy fuels, affordable and reliable fuels, Um, fuels, organic fuels, if you would. the actual purpose is, of course, to ship cash to the federal government so it can keep spending like a drunken sailor. Um, um, I, I, can Alex Flint, can, can he call us and explain to us why we should be in favor of this stuff? Or Neil or Carlos Corbello? Um, well, I encourage everybody to read. Um, to read a very excellent article that Derek Morgan, an essay that Derek Morgan and I wrote about Mr. Chatterjee and Mr. Curbella. Um, it was something of a contrary point of view to their theory that the left needs to give lots more money to front groups on the right because they're not giving enough. Um, to, I'll put to, that in the show notes. To, to, be, in fa- to be in I'll, favor of a carbon tax, essentially. Right? <clears throat> okay, so one more. Uh, this is yes. a, a sort of a two-step deal. First, DOD, this is from our friend Ari, DOD yes. to replace fleet yeah. with clean vehicles under defense bill. Yeah. The Department of Defense's fleet of non-tactical vehicles will be required to compromise comprise alternative fuel vehicles by the end of 2030 yeah. under the must-pass National Defense Authorization Act, according to an explanatory statement from negotiators. And then the second thing is the Biden administration announced... Um, no more gas in federal buildings. Done. No more natural gas. No more natural gas. We we got to get off of this evil stuff. Oh so. it, it, well, it, new building and retrofits. No more gas, baby. Yeah. You know, here's. I'm glad you said that because every once in a while, I think the Republicans are the only party that doesn't understand how government actually works. But then the government, then the Democrats do something like this. I'm like, okay, you guys don't understand how it is either. Um, United States Department of Defense is going to buy whatever vehicles it wants, and it's not going to care what the General um, Services Administration says, what, you know, or what truthfully what the NDA says either. They're just going to be like, "Yeah, no, we're working on it." Right? That's always the answer. Right, same with the post office. Well, this is the same. Keep in mind, DOD last week came out and said, "Yeah, we have no idea where two point one trillion dollars of our stuff is. I mean, we know it's there. We just can't give you a, a detailed accounting of where it is. We, we know we have two trillion dollars in assets that that are essentially unaccounted for." Um, to at which point Rand Paul said, 
and and these are the guys that we're about to line up and give $857 billion more dollars to, like we always do, right? So DOD doesn't care about this stuff. They're not going to do it. That's thing one. Thing two is most federal government buildings, most, I want to be careful about this. Yeah, probably most are actually rented. The federal government doesn't own any of these buildings. But they do have a pretty pretty big inventory of I mean the value of some of their properties are huge because of the way they're where they're located. Their value of most of their properties are junk because they're junk. The buildings are junk. Nobody wants it. I mean it it Well the, the okay, let's just re, let me rephrase or redirect the the location of the building. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. If they gave valuable. you mean like if they so, blew up that god awful housing and urban development building, would somebody build something better and more useful? Yeah, I'm there? talking about all over the country like Miami, New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But stuff. for the most part, they're renters, which means their landlords are going to use whatever the hell they feel like. And you think a guy's steeped in the intricacies of the federal government as President Biden would know something like that. But I guess you're busy thinking about what beach house you're going to buy and your senator's salary. You can't think about that stuff, too. So, <laughs> Real quick, uh, did one I, more did energy. I say, did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> One more energy and then let's move energy ish. Vanguard. Yes. Quits net zero climate effort. Yes. I need for independence. Vanguard group. This is from Reuters. Um, yesterday again, uh, December 7th. Vanguard group is pulling out of a major investment industry initiative. Yes. The world's biggest mutual fund manager said on Wednesday, explaining it wants to demonstrate independence and clarity and clarify, I should say, it's views for investors. Um, the folk, let's see, uh, top investors, including uh, Pennsylvania-based Vanguard, facing mounting pressure from Republican U.S. politicians, yada, 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 over ESG, um, has decided to exit from the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative. Shazam and Zam. Yeah. Which, uh, which Vanguard, by the way, manages about $7 trillion in assets, so... They are slightly behind Larry CCP Fink, who uh, was up at point at some point at around ten billion in assets, but now he's down to eight. eight. Yeah, yeah, I'm very so excited. I applaud. Listen, I'm one of those people. I applaud Vanguard. So do I. I think this was a great move. Me too. It just differentiates them. Yep. Certainly from BlackRock, Vanguard is an index fund. The Bogleheads, like this, is they, they didn't really belong in this group in the first place because they invest in everything including oil and gas. So I'm not one who's going to like, well, I'm, I'm you know, kind of trash them or whatever. I, I applaud their move. And I'm, and I, and I hope to see this is real as opposed to JP, Jamie diamond. Yeah. There's um, actually money involved has been here. A lot of talk and not a lot of action. This is actual action. Yeah. No, so. I'm, I'm super excited personally. Cause I was going to have to do my end of the year thing. I was going to have to get out of Vanguard and find I something know, else. That was the other thing, and too. I was I, cringing because I, I was like, I don't want to do this. And I'm so glad they're like, hey, we're not going to do this. I'm like, yes, thank you. Thank right, you. So make, make, good on you. And, uh, and you made my yeah. Christmas easier. So I'm in favor of it. Yeah. yeah I got to write a column was... on it thanking them. This is, this is, this is good stuff. You bet. Okay. So shifting gears. I said I said ultimately that someone would offer him ten years and four hundred million. And yep. I was right about that. Yep. This is Aaron Judge, the outfielder who uh, is currently a New York Yankee and will remain a New York Yankee. The Padres apparently at the last minute offered him ten years and four hundred thousand, um, but he did uh, decline that offer. And 
took the offer that the Yankees countered from the Giants at nine with an AAV of, I think, 40 million. So nine and 360 is where uh, Aaron Judge ended up and will be a Yankee for, for the rest of his career, which will likely not be as long as his contract. Yeah. So the winner of the sweepstakes was actually the Giants, I think, because they forced the Yankees to add another year and $60 million on the contract. Um, yeah, that's Any actually comments, thoughts. Oh, you know, it, it's a waste of time. The, the, he can't play. He can't play in in the in the playoffs, right? He's he's useless. He's useless essentially. I mean, don't get me wrong. He hits home runs and blah 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 and all this other stuff. He's Ken Griffey, right? He's going to hit a lot of home runs, but none of them are going to mean anything. And he's never going to play well in the playoffs, so it's like pointless. Um, I hope you're proven wrong, but that's at this point because he's thirty-one, Tom. He's not twelve. He's thirty-one four, years old. Four more years. Four more years, not for Biden. That's the important part. That's the important Four part. Four more years. That that's the important signing, and the one that should make every Yankee fan, within the sound of my voice, um, switch to the root for the Mets or the Red Sox or somebody who like is bound and determined to run the Yankees out of Major League Baseball. Because the fact that the Steinbrenner signed this loser Brian Cashman for four more years is crazy. The guy is going to be the longest-serving GM in the history of the Yankees. I think he may already be. And you know what else he's distinguished by? He's the only GM in the history of the Yankees who has no World Series rings. Well, he got one as an assistant GM, but that no, hardly the, counts. The, the um, 09 ring was well, – he was still GM. He wasn't assistant at that point. Was he a GM then? Well, there you go. He won, he, won his, he won one World Series 13 years ago using players that somebody else brought on the team. Um, his, own, his own tenure has been a complete – Colossal ultimate okay, who's failure. So, La- ladies and gentlemen, uh, so, they're Yankees. So Hal, Hal awarded Cashman. Yeah. Are the Republican uh, steering committee of the RNC going to reward Rana? Yeah. And who's the biggest loser? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, and that, you know what? And that's an exact congruence there. An exact congruence. Can can I can I stir in one more thing that I want to that I want to talk yeah, about anyway? Gotta, I know we got to go. Gotta, we got to get. Yeah, no, get I get it. I get here, it. I get so. it. Law schools. There's a rash of law schools recently who announced they're not going to participate in U.S. News and World Report rankings. Stay with me, gang. I'm coming back around on this. Good schools, Penn, Yale, Harvard, University of Washington, whatever. Like, who cares about who's going to go to University of Washington? Um, Couple other places, right? All right, and this is in tandem with a bunch of colleges saying, you know what, we're not going to take the SATs anymore. And the reason why those schools are not going to take the SATs, and the reason why they're not going to participate, the law schools aren't going to participate in the rankings, is to protect themselves against lawsuits. Because if you don't have any objective measures of why you let somebody in, it's very, very difficult to sue you on a civil rights beef, right? I don't want to yeah. say it's, I don't want to say it's craven, it's cowardly, it's you know, but it's craven and it's cowardly. I get it. Federal government does something, you know, everybody else tries to figure out a way around it. Um, but without objective measures, you can't assess who's doing well and who's doing poorly and who should be moved along and who shouldn't be moved along. And with respect to law schools, it's particularly bad because that's going to affect actual human citizens. American citizens down the road, when you got lawyers with Harvard degrees, that don't actually mean they went to Harvard because they got in, like because they were skilled. So, um, eventually, it's going to spread to medical world, 
And then we're really going to be in trouble when you're getting worked on by doctors who may or may not know what they're doing. Now, let me break back to the Yankees. And the, and okay, the, wait, and let me just let me just put respond a pin to that. We yes. could devote an entire episode to we the mess will. that is the university system in we this country probably will. as a result of a whole factor of things. But I will pivot back to you, sir, so we can close uh, this out. Yeah, I just wanted to say, right, that what all three of these things have in common is that the RNC has been a failure by any objective measure. Brian Cashman's been a failure by any objective measure. And the law schools and the universities are trying to avoid their fate by getting rid of objective measures. And if you think about the decision of the RNC and the Yankees, they too essentially have dismissed objective measures. It is a really, I don't want to oversell this, we are in a dark moment in this country um, when you have major institutions, sports, universities, um, political party deciding, you know what, screw objective measures. We're gonna we're gonna be corrupt and do what we want to do. Yeah, no, L, no, no more of these LSATs and PSATs and you know SATs and all that stuff. Too, so. If I was a, if I was if I was a guy applying to law school, I'd be like, hey, Brian Cashman sucked forever. <laughs> Why can't I get into law school? All right. Do you have any? Um, do you have anything? Because I've got one thing, and then I want to close out, and I will tease something for next week. Do you want me to? Do you want me to make an announcement, or do you want to do that? No, 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 no. Okay. No, then I'm done. You're done. Okay. So thank you. Uh, so far, we've been we've been spending a lot of time talking about the RNC, and we're going to, uh, as of now, there are two candidates, um, Ronna McDaniel and Harmeet Dillon. Harmeet. Harmeet Dillon and uh, Zeldin in or out? Do we know? Out. What's the story? Out. He Zeldin's said. He out. said. He said okay. yesterday, and this is worth this is worth being careful about. He said yesterday that. Uh, he was not going to run because he didn't want to participate in a process that was pre-baked to wind up with Chairman McDaniel being Chairman McDaniel again. Okay. It was an unusually so, it was an unusually aggressive statement, I thought. So we have a a and I've seen this, uh, I've I've shared this with folks. There is an across the spectrum in the Republican Party, from the most liberal Republicans to the most conservative, who are clamoring for people to get into this race. Because the because of the, um, the the air of inevitability of this McDaniel thing is just it just stinks. So uh, we we hope that there'll be some major developments on that uh, in the coming days. Okay, I got one for you, Mike. This is a real this is a real problem, and I want uh, I want you to address it specifically. Yo, this is from the Washington Post, uh, December fifth, Shark Week. Lacks diversity. <laughs> Overrepresents men named Mike. Scientists say. Researchers say Discovery's programming overwhelmingly featured white men as experts, while emphasizing negative messages about sharks. <laughs> what say you, Mike? You are overrepresented on Shark Week. I, you know what? When I'm out there in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on my paddleboard. I get the feeling the sharks are overrepresented. Um, so, I, but I saw that. I cracked me up, man. I'm like, it, was that really in the post or was that a goof? This is literally in the Okay, I, I couldn't tell. White, I ran across it in White Twitter. Mac led a team of researchers to examine hundreds of Shark Week episodes that aired between 1990, 1988 and 2020 <laughs> in a study published from last month. By the Public Library of Science, their research claims that Discovery's programming emphasized negative messages about sharks, lacked useful 
messaging about shark conservation and overwhelmingly featured white men as experts, including several with the name Mike. <laughs> okay. Programming featured more white experts and commenters named Mike than women, said David Schiffman. Wait, 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 wait. Read that. Arizona State University. Read that sentence. Okay, first off, this whole thing is like there's too much money floating around Universe World, but read that sentence again. About the research? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. In a study published, their research claims that Discovery's programming emphasized negative messages about sharks, lacked useful messaging about shark conservation, and overwhelmingly featured white men as experts, including several with the same name, Mike. Okay, now read the, read the next sentence you read. The programming featured more white experts and commentators named Mike than women. Okay, stop. David Schiffen. Stop. Stop right there. The, the, it, it featured more men named Mike than women named Mike. Yeah, that's right. Not, there aren't too many women named Mike floating around out there. Guys. You. <laughs> All right. That is a, uh, <laughs> that is a horrible, horrible thing that, that, that may needs be a, to be rectified. <laughs> that may be a record you for ridiculous. You should be ashamed of yourself I, for being I'll associated be- with on behalf of all of us named Mike, trash. I'm, on behalf of all of us named Mike, I'm very sorry to marginalize the shark community. Um, and I, of course, will be um, making many appearances with sharks and uh, and uh, explaining their history and their importance to the United States of America. I appreciate you yeah, correcting me on conservation, this. Please emphasize conservation. Just, all right. <laughs> okay. We are going to close this out with President Biden. Because uh, as you know, he visited Arizona recently, but he had more important things to do than visit the border. And today, TSMC has announced a second major investment. We'll construct a second fab here in Phoenix to build chips, the three nano chips, the three nano chip, chips and the three nano. You know what I'm saying? Nano, no, no, I don't know. I- <laughs> nano, nano. <laughs> I don't know, nanos. Oh boy, Mark <laughs> would be proud. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap. Episode number one hundred and eleven in the books. I'm sorry to all the sharks out there. Namaste. Hey.